Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. Guys, I'm so glad that you're here. I have one of my favorite people, Dr. David Dykus, back on the podcast today. We're talking about a puppy who is stiff in the morning when he gets up. David unpacks it all. What do we need to know? How concerned do we need to be? This is a good one. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, 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 Dr. David Dykus. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for uh, having me on again. Oh, I love it. I always love it when you're here. I got um, I got one that's right up your alley that I could use some help on. Yeah, go for it. I have a six-month-old Labrador retriever named Gimbal. He's soon to be neutered boy, okay. and he came in because his owners say that he's stiff in the morning. Like not bad, but they they're just like he just doesn't get up and get going and then he runs and plays and and when he gets back from playing with a ball they think he might be limping but it's not like you know it's not significant mom's sister is a vet in st louis and she says that she thinks it's panosteitis and so she's coming in and asking me about panosteitis david i can't find anything wrong with this dog like i'm you know i'm like pulling on it and twisting it it's squirmy puppy you know what i mean so but i'm not differentiating anything that i'm like oh that's that's more than squirmy puppy yeah i'm not seeing the physical exam what do you what do you think what 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 do i do with this case yeah well you know puppies puppies are tough because you know they're gonna want to be rambunctious even if they're they're uncomfortable. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is in any young growing dog with forelimb stiffness or, or potential limp or self-limiting, we really need to, to be aggressive with these dogs because a lot of times they will have joint-centric issues that we probably shouldn't ignore because if we can address things very early in life, then uh, I think we have a better shot of making them comfortable. You know, many a times examinations on puppies are super difficult because, mm-hmm. you know, they don't like their toes messed with or, or they have no idea what you're doing. So they're kind of gnawing on your fingers as you're trying to flex and extend and they don't give you much. And so usually what I tell veterinarians for an exam is, is you know, start out with the fact that range of motion in most of these joints is going to be completely normal. You know, don't mm-hmm. expect to get significant pain. What you need to be looking for is to kind of slow down and look for areas of tension or spasm. For example, in the, the elbow, a lot of these dogs will let you happily flex and extend the elbow and they don't care. But I tell, tell veterinarians it should be like a loose noodle. You should be able to easily just flex and extend and, and there should be no resistance whatsoever. But if you get a puppy that you go to flex and even if the flexion is normal, but the puppy's got a little bit of resistance or is fighting a little bit, there needs to be a big, big red flag to think about the elbow. And then as far as the shoulder goes in a lot of these dogs, you know, they'll let you get to normal flexion and extension of the shoulder, but pay attention if they're, again, they're fighting you a little bit, or if you go to put them in a deep shoulder flexion and, you know, rather than expecting them to cry out, maybe they look around at you or maybe they try to lick your hand or maybe they're panting and they stop panting. So we're looking for some of these subtleties. And, you know, I see time and time again that th- these puppies are getting diagnosed with panosteitis or growing pain. Yeah. And, you know, that's absolutely true. I mean, you squeeze on a, a puppy's radius and ulna, they'll absolutely respond in some form or fashion sometimes. But also, too, what'll happen is they will, even if they're not painful in that area, they will start to kind of respond. And it'll make you think they've got panosteitis. And, and I mm-hmm. see that so many times it gets diagnosed and we say, okay, let's put them on an anti-inflammatory 
story or let's just let them get better on their own kind of thing. And, you know, we tend to not take a real aggressive approach in working them up. A lot of times x-rays get skipped or other things get tossed to the side thinking this is just a soft tissue injury or panosteitis. But what's important to remember when we look at the incident, so let's let's take, for example, OCD lesions or osteochondritis desiccans lesions. Yeah. If I had to ask you which you thought was more common, a dog with panosteitis or a dog with a shoulder OCD, what, what, what answer would you give me if I said, you know, which one do you think you see more of that we see a higher incidence of? Oh, I mean, I would probably, uh, now um, you got me on the spot. I was like, I, I mean, I would probably say panosteitis, like growing pains in the big dogs. I mean, I, I feel like I come across those more often than I have the definitive diagnosis in my hands of OCD. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think most would agree with you. But when we look at the incidence of it, interestingly enough, OCD has about a four times higher incidence than panosteitis. So mm. to give you an idea, the true incidence of a dog with panosteitis is about two per 1,000 patients okay. for OCD in, in a joint of some type, whether it's the shoulder or the elbow, the stifle or the hock, it's actually about, you know, about eight per 1,000. So the, the, there's about a fourfold increase of dogs with OCD lesions than have panosteitis. But we're probably not radiographing many of these and assuming that they've got underlying panosteitis. And we're probably missing a lot of these dogs with shoulder OCD or these dogs with a developmental elbow dysplasia or, you know, what some people will refer to as elbow dysplasia and, and some people call developmental elbow disease. You know, there's there's okay. sort of a newer terminology coming around or, or out because there's there's so much more to elbows than just a dysplastic elbow, for example. And so some have started to use the term developmental uh, elbow disease as a, as a different terminology, but, you know, it just muddies the waters even more. <laughs> make things more confusing. Um, okay. And, and so my recommendation would be for these dogs, you know, take the aggressive approach on the front end and, and take radiographs, you know, take radiographs of the affected limb and the unaffected limb, get good, well-positioned orthogonal views of the, the elbow and the shoulder. Try to avoid my, my view that, that I see constantly come through that I call a shellbow, uh, where somebody takes a lateral view and it's got the shoulder and the elbow in the view and they're trying to make a diagnosis off of it. But realistically, the center of the beam's on the humerus. So it's actually right. a, a radiograph of the humerus. And, and so I think it's wise to, to really get your technicians uh, up to speed on, you know, when you say, let's, let's get radiographs of this, you know, what do we really want to focus on? Let's, let's put the center of the beam on the elbow so we can focus on that. Let's put the center of the beam on the shoulder and we can focus on, on that. You know, many a times these radiographs are going to look completely normal, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, makes it challenging because then you say, well, gosh, why are we taking radiographs? But, you know, sometimes we get lucky in the shoulder and sometimes there's a big OCD lesion. Other times we got to remember we're looking at one dimension of a three dimensional object. That doesn't mean that an OCD lesion is not there because we don't we don't see it. Um, we do need to have it on our radar. And then we might need to think about talking to the owners about more advanced imaging. You know, if you've got the puppy that maybe has some resistance on shoulder extension and gets maybe a little bit antsy on shoulder flexion. You take radiographs, you don't see anything, but you have a high suspicion of an OCD lesion. So maybe you ought to, you know, think about a CT scan, you know, sending you to the surgeon, think about them getting a CT scan to make sure that there's not something in the joint we can deal with. And then in the elbow, you know, you're not going to find arthritic changes in a six-month-old puppy. You know, what we need to be looking for is evidence of what's called subtrochlear sclerosis, where we're seeing a little bit of whitening of the bone in the uh, this trochlear notch. And, and that's going to be one of those absolutely first changes that we'll see on a dog before we absolutely see uh, arthritic changes. You know, we would, if you see arthritic changes in a six month old puppy, there's something massively wrong. You know, and I have, I've seen arthritic changes in seven and eight month old puppies. But, you know, I think that the key takeaway is rather than jumping to the conclusion that this is strictly just panosteitis and growing pains, you know, let's make sure that that's what's going on and make sure that we're not missing, you know, a bigger issue that we might want to have addressed uh, sooner rather than later, because it's so much easier to deal with a 
six month old puppy shoulder with an OCD lesion, then we wait until the dog is three or four and we've got, you know, really chronic changes in the joint, in particular the elbows as well. You know, being aggressive in the elbows, I think is probably the best way to go to try to provide a good quality of life, knowing that elbows are incredibly difficult for, for everybody to deal with. You know, it's sort of, you know, what surgeons sit around and, and debate and argue about uh, because none of us really have a great way to make the issue go away. But I think most of us would all agree that addressing these dogs early with them earlier is probably the, the best way to go rather than riding them out. Yeah. What should I say to pet owners? So I think I can definitely make the, make the case, hey, this is a young dog. I want to make sure that, you know, that we're not having any, any any long-term problems, things like that. I can talk them into the, uh, radiographs for sure. When I say I'm worried about, you know, shoulder dysplasia, things like that, how do I prep them for referral? Like, I mean, they're going to say, well, what are options? What are we looking at? What are the costs? I know that varies by, by region, but generally, what should I prepare them for? Yeah. I, you know, I think the easiest thing is to say, well, let's start with, you know, a consult with the surgeon because then, you know, depending on the individual surgeon, they may say, well, you know, we might need to think about advanced imaging, possibly a CT scan. And then they might also think about if there is evidence of an OCD lesion and the owners are on board and say, we want to get this dealt with. We want to, we want to have it squared away so it can be done with it. Uh, then it's probably going to involve an arthroscopic procedure to, to address it. If the owner says, you know what, you know, that's great. If I had, you know, a tree in my backyard that produced money, I'd be able to afford it, but I, I can't afford it. So, you know, in that situation, that's where we really need to have the heart-to-heart conversation with the owner saying, you know, if, if there's, say, developmental elbow disease, for example, saying, you know, this is what we need to expect from a, a lifelong standpoint. We do expect there to be our to develop. Given that we don't have radiographic changes right now, it allows us to sort of try to create the environment as best as possible to try to minimize and slow down changes. And so that's where we can really have a conversation with them about maintenance of a lean body weight as the dog goes into maturity, keeping them on the thin side rather than letting them get overweight, keeping them active so that we maintain range of motion in the joints, but also too starting to develop a lifestyle to minimize concussive forces on the elbows. So if we've got a dog that has a shoulder or an elbow joint problem, this probably isn't the best dog to sit on the back porch and throw the tennis ball and, and have him chase or have him jumping off of objects. But we can also you know, find other activities that the dog and the owner can do together that they're going to appreciate that maybe aren't going to have repetitive concussive forces to, to the particular joint that's affected. And so you know, sometimes it's setting up expectations and, and developing lifestyle changes to try to minimize uh, worsening changes to the joints if surgical intervention is not possible, or even with surgical intervention, we expect there to be uh, degenerative or arthritic changes developed later on down the line uh, in the dog. Any last words of wisdom before I uh, give these people a call? Well, I, I think the the biggest take home message is when you chat with them, let them know that you know it may very well just be growing pains, but let's let's just make sure that we're not dealing with something in the shoulder or the elbow that could create a problem for us. And uh, when you get your hands on the dog, if you're able to examine the dog, remember go slow. Don't rush through flexion and extension. Don't push it. Don't muscle up on them. Go really slow. Look for any sorts of tension. Remember the elbow should be like a loose noodle. If the dog dogs tightening up on you, that's a big red flag that something's going on. And so just pay real close attention because puppies are wiggly, they're tough, uh, and they're not going to give you a lot of pain. And so you got to start looking for some of those real subtle changes to find out what's going on and be aggressive. Get your radiographs, make sure you take really good quality orthogonal views of not only the affected leg, but also the unaffected leg. Do you have any breeds that you particularly pay attention to? Yeah. So if I've got uh, a Labrador retriever coming in, a golden retriever, I'm really thinking of the elbows. If I've got a Newfoundland coming in, I'm thinking elbows and shoulders 
shoulders. Um, if I've got uh, some German shepherds coming in, a lot of times elbows. You know, if a Great Dane's coming in, that may very well be panosteitis. You know, we don't see a lot of shoulder OCD or a lot of developmental elbow disease in Great Danes, for example. But, uh, you know, when those dogs pay real particular attention that there's not uh, premature closure of the distal ulnar growth plate that could result in an angular limb deformity. And if uh, a Yorkie comes in with an acute lameness, always take radiographs to the elbow. Those little dogs love to have lateral Salter hairs for condylar fractures. And so make sure you not only get your lateral view, but your AP of view, because that'll sometimes be missed. So definitely uh, look at the dog in front of you, look at the breed and make sure that we're ruling in or out some of the developmental orthopedic diseases that are more common for that particular breed. Cool. Great, buddy. Hey, where can people find you online? Yeah, well, they can absolutely uh, check me out on, on my personal or my professional Facebook page. It's uh, Dr. David Dykus. Uh, and then my Instagram is, is at ortho underscore vet. And then uh, I am happy go lucky to give out my email address for people if they've got questions. My email is ddykus, so it's d-d-y-c-u-s at nexus, n-e-x-u-s, vet.com. So it's ddykus at nexusvet.com. You know, I may uh, be a few days to get an email back to them, but I'm happy to answer case-related questions for people. I love uh, talking with veterinarians all over the country and, you know, hearing about the the cases they're seeing and, you know, we all learn from each other. We can all grow and and work together. And, you know, even though we can't always meet face-to-face right now, you know, at least we can still, from a virtual standpoint, you know, network with each other. Definitely. Cool. Thanks again, buddy. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me on and uh, it was a great time. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I hope you had a good, good time with me and David Dykus. Guys, uh, the holidays are here. And if you're thinking, golly, I wish I could get Andy a Christmas present. I know that's what you're thinking. It's easy. All you got to do is share this podcast with your friends or people you think would enjoy it or learn from it. And or write an honest review of The Cone of Shame wherever you get your podcast. It means the world to me. It's how people find the uh, the show. So anyway, guys, I'm just teasing. But I'm also not teasing write a review i'm not kidding with you guys this is serious stuff until next time take care of yourselves i'll see you later on